As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Football League show. Ipswich tell Paul to cook off. It doesn't end Wellens for Richie at Doncaster. BBD wins the Lancashire Derby and Steve Cook's blocks rock. This is the Totally Football League show in association with Paddy Bell. Hello, listener. You find us convened to discuss all things EFL after a weekend of abridged action, thanks to the FA Cup. Joining me, Matt Davis-Adams, today are Sam Parkin. Hello, Matt. Hello, Sam. Talk Sports Ian Dant is also with us. Hi, Dance. Hello. And it's a pod debut for a veritable EFL legend. If I listed all the clubs he'd play for, we'd be here all day. So I'll simply announce him as the Crystal Palace first team coach. It's Sean Derry. Hi, Sean. Hi, guys. Hi. Lovely to see you all. Just saying, I mean, what a 24 hours for you, hey? Touchline at Old Trafford and now sharing a Zoom with me, Dance and Sam. It doesn't get much better than that, does it? Uh, the highs of today, the lows of yesterday, guys, that's for sure. <laughs> right, we're going to talk <laughs> League One sackings later, but first, let's head to the Championship. It's the Paddy Power Football Supporters Support Line. We're talking to Burnley fan Graham. What's up, Graham? Well, it's Christmas, Paddy. Uh, not a Grinch, are you, Graham? Oh, I love all the midweek fixtures, the quick turnaround between games. So why so glum? Well, it's the work Christmas party, the five-a-side drinks, schoolmates, dinner. Makes it very hard to watch all the football. The Premier League is non-stop this December, so make the most of it with Paddy Power's Bet Builder offer. Get money back as a free bet if one leg of your Bet Builder lets you down. Paddy Power. Pre-match online Bet Builder bets only min odds one to five per leg, min four plus legs. Max free bet ten pounds per day. Excludes enhanced match odds. Season season supply. Eighteen plus. You're listening to the Totally Football League Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Championship headlines, it's as you were as regards the top two after Fulham and Bournemouth draw. West Brom get back to winning ways after being sent to Coventry. The bottom three starting to get cut adrift because pretty much everyone else is just about in playoff contention. And BBD and Solan Key are catching Mitro in the Golden Boot race after both bag this weekend. Right, we'll get to the Friday night game imminently, but let's start our look back with the Saturday lunchtime match in Coventry, where West Brom got back to winning ways courtesy of a 2-1 success at the Coventry Building Society Arena. Um, Sean, it, it seems mad to ask this about a team who are third in the league, but does this win ease the pressure on Valerian and Ismail? That's crazy, isn't it? I mean, this is the championship that we're talking about, guys. Every single year, there's always pressure. Um, but I think, obviously, coming over from, you know, f- from his past club, Barnsley, and then the way that... I think it's always difficult when you come into a new fo- football club and absolutely respectfully here because he's done a brilliant job there. But the style of play that is implemented at West Brom will always bring pressure on you if the results don't go your way because that is the first thing that the fans will always kind of look at you and think, well, we're not enjoying this. We might enjoy losing now and again if we're playing well and it's, you know, it's, it's good football, but at times it's been tough to watch. They must have been surprised, Dan, how easy they, they had it. Just just looking at the highlights, it, it seems as though they could kind of carve through the Coventry defence at, at will, which is not what we've been used to this season. That opening goal was kind of unlike West Brom. You know, a lovely defence-splitting pass from Callum Robinson and a super finish from, from Carlan Grant. Carlan Grant giving chase to this. It's Carlin Grant! 
Where would West Bromwich Albion be without Carlo Grant? He is clinical. Stats after this game. It was interesting that Coventry played more long balls than West Brom, which is different to what everybody perceives to be the way that that West Brom go about the business, contrary to every other side in the division. Um, I think if they had a Sam Parkin up front, <laughs> West Brom, like Barnsley had Daryl DK, that actual focal point of an attack, then that may- might make Valerian Ishmael's job a little bit easier. Because it was DK's arrival, I think we can all agree, at Barnsley, that transformed the tight season and made them even tougher to play than they already were and got them into the playoffs. So... Carlin Grant, Callum Robinson, not quite that type of player. And Jordan Hugill should be, but he doesn't appear to be trusted as much. So, yeah, it was a little easier and a little more easy on the eye than you might have expected from West Brom, given the, the perception we all have of them. They're a bit lucky though, Sam, weren't they? That second goal shouldn't have stood after the handball from uh, Cedric Kipre, but I, I did enjoy Kyle Bartley doing the old Sam Parkin, <laughs> celebrating as if he'd scored a goal that he blatantly hadn't. <laughs> Yeah, he, yeah, the, the, the camera didn't do him any favours. They're a good angle of that, so he's not going to get... I know Kyle, actually. I spent a bit of time with him north of the border. Good fun, good fun. Like tonight out up there. So um, I'm sure he uh, enjoyed himself on Saturday, getting the three points. Um, yeah, I, I thought Mark Robbins was really honest. You know, he's, He was honest about that and also about the way that his team tried to pl- overplay, I think, a little bit too much in the first half. And... And both of the, the goals, both of the West Brom goals were a product of that, really. I think it was a throw the second one came from. Uh, and the first one, um, I think they gave the ball away around the halfway line and they were they were punished by, as Dan says, a little bit of an un-West Brom goal, maybe, um, with the, the little intricate pass that set Carl and Grant away. So I was surprised, actually, because Mark Robbins' side did a bit of a job on Barnsley last year. Um, they won, I think, 2-0 convincingly by being a bit more direct and, and going to the front players early. So I felt that was the way they go. But in the, in the first half, they, they certainly didn't. And that was to their detriment. Yeah, Coventry's much-vaunted home form seems to have disappeared. Only one win in their last five in front of their own supporters now. And they drop out of the playoff places as a result of that defeat. Uh, way back when, on Friday night, the top two squared off Thames side. Scotty P returned to Craven Cottage and took a point back to Bournemouth with him to mean that the Cherries stay one behind the Whites after it finished all square between Fulham and Bournemouth. Fulham the happier with this, Sean, because they came from behind and stayed top even though they were the home team? Well, firstly, I thought it was a fantastic game. It was a throwback game in many ways. Um, I just thought it was typified um, the top end of the championship thought there was loads of quality in the game, some great players on the pitch. You can talk about the goal. I mean, it was a set-piece, absolute beauty, wasn't it? You know, from, from from the from the restart in the second half. I mean, we was at work in the next day and everybody was talking about it. Nil-nil away at Fulham. There's a referee, restarts the second half. Solanke inside the box. Dominic Solanke! Within seconds of the restart! A huge goal for Bournemouth away at Fulham top of the table clash I, I, I think when you get some of the um, the analysts you know some of the analysts at, at football they love things like this and I, I just thought it was a great goal to start the second half off but I thought it was a great game I really did I thought it was a, a fantastic game played in the right way two really good football football teams you know a manager going back to his old haunt as well so I think Scotty will be pretty pretty disappointed the fact that he didn't manage to hold on to it but I thought Fulham, you know, over the course of 90, 95 minutes, they really deserved that draw. Could have, could have got the, could have got the win. Dance Fulham looking a bit more dogged of late. Three draws in a row, unbeaten in ten, but they're not losing games and they're still top of the league, so they won't be that fussed. Not at all. I mean, Mitrovic looked a bit out of sorts in the game against Preston. He clearly wasn't quite fully fit. I'm sure he'd have been desperate on Friday to, to score, uh, and you know, celebrate in front of Scott Parker. Uh, the way that um, <laughs> the way that who was that who did that last year for Morecambe? Kevin Ellison wasn't it yeah, for Morecambe yeah. in, uh, in for, right in front of the manager? He, I, I would imagine that Mitro would have done exactly the same thing had he had the chance. But it's great to see Fabio Carvalho back out there again for Fulham because he was missing for some time with a bit of COVID and a toe injury. I watched him at the start of the season for an 18-year-old kid, an absolutely outstanding prospect as a number ten. So. To see him back in the Fulham side, I mean, there'll be all sorts of offers for him coming in very soon. I'm sure January will be 
the time where he can talk to other clubs. But whilst he plays the way he does, Fulham are always going to be in games and always going to be in with the chance of, uh, of nicking winners. But first goal for... Tosin, I think, for Fulham, wasn't it? He's not scored for them yet. Really well-directed header. And for, for all of Fulham's lovely approach, play, the, the winner comes from a you know a ball slapped into the mixer. Love it. Sam, I say that you know they'd be fairly satisfied with the result, Fulham, but they might have had a penalty for that foul on, on Harry Wilson in the first half. And then Naiskin Scavano missed a, a sitter just after Mitro had had a header save. So, so maybe they will be slightly rueful looking back on it on Monday morning. Yeah, the, the manager would be disappointed with that decision in the first half because it was a definite penalty. I, I think that might be an occasion when someone's reputation goes against them a little bit because Harry Wilson is maybe a little bit over-exuberant at times the way he goes down. Former Bournemouth player as well. I don't think there's a great deal of love lost between um, Harry Wilson and the Bournemouth support. So I'd imagine he would have been getting a little bit of grief during the, the first half as well, playing towards the Bournemouth fans. So I think there was maybe a little bit of a subplot there and I can understand the referee just questioning whether there was contact there because Harry Wilson, for me, does go over a little bit easily uh, on occasions. But no, I, I think Fulham probed, didn't they? They made a, a number of chances. I, I don't think there was too many surprises from the game because we the Fulham fans, for one, have seen how good Scott Parker is at closing up matches and he tried to do exactly that. And this isn't a criticism. He brought Pearson on for Mark Ondes, uh early after they've gone ahead. And he went to the back five late on. And he's really good at doing that. He showed it at Fulham. Got so many points from you know being defensively stable and getting over the line. And they just weren't able to do that because Fulham have got so many good attacking players. Kept coming. Kearney made a big difference when he, when he came on as well. And um, yeah, they'd had enough chances probably to win the game Fulham. So I think Scott Parker, as, as um, Sean said, disappointed not to get the three going back. But in the cold light of day, that's a really good point for Bournemouth, I think. Finally, on this game, Dan, so you watch a lot of the championship. Do you see anybody being able to catch these two in terms of automatic promotion? Well, um, no, is is a fairly easy answer to give to that simply because <laughs> of the gap that, that's emerging. And um, QPR losing at home to Stoke yesterday, you know, uh, will be of great annoyance to to Mark Warburton as well as to Sean I'm quite sure as an ex-QPR player the the one that intrigues me I know we're going to talk about them in a minute is Blackburn and that's only because of Ben Brereton Diaz uh, when you've got somebody in the uh, as a top goal scorer it gives you every chance that you know you've got the chance to win games or be in games with a player of that confidence in the squad so and of course the other thing with Blackburn is it can't be too long before Bradley Dack is back fit again after another knee injury. So you factor that in as well. And you think, well, I, I, I mean, we'll talk, as you said, we'll talk about him in a minute. But I was up there for the 7-0 that Fulham absolutely bullied them for 90 minutes. It was it, it kind of, you're a neutral, as a, you're watching it through your fingers because it's horrible. They just they had no answer to what Fulham were doing. But what a response. So they'd be the team I would have a half an eye on to try and catch Fulham and Bournemouth. But it's a big ask for anybody to get up with those two, the way they're playing. The way they played on Friday night was just a joy to watch, wasn't it? This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Well, let's get on to that, that Blackburn game then. They beat Preston by a goal to nil. Top of the form table, fourth in the actual table after that derby victory. Uh, Sean, Dance mentions Ben Brereton Diaz there. It's difficult not to talk about him. 17th goal of the season, as many in, in the previous five combined. Have you ever worked with a player who, for kind of... Seemingly no reason other than suddenly becoming a Chile international <laughs> becomes becomes brilliant and totally changes the path of his career. It's extraordinary. Well, it's amazing. I think that just highlights the championship as well. You can really make a name for yourself at this level and you can take your career into some unbelievable places. But just on Ben Brereton, who, as, it, as he was when I, I first um, got told about him, 
Gary Brazil, the academy manager at Nottingham Forest, was a massive fan of him. He thought he was outstanding. He was really disappointed that he left to go to, to Blackburn, which was for an unbelievable amount of money because no one really expected Blackburn to have that amount of money at that, at that state of time. But no, to answer your question, it's incredible the, the, the change in fortune that he's had since he's changed that name or added that extra, extra bit onto the end of it. I mean, he's just a remarkable player. And I've watched him a few times this season and he's always won, I think, you know, I mean, Sam scored the goals, I never did. But when, you, when, when, you was, when you're playing behind someone like that, you just fancy yourself. And I think them guys at, at Blackburn will be looking at Ben thinking, Whatever he's hitting these forms, we've got a hell of a chance of getting into the Premier League. Because I think you're right. I think the top two, uh, they're out. They're, they're, they're a different level. I, I do believe that, you know, the Championship sometimes has a cluster of about four or five clubs. I don't think it's that many this year. I think it is just the two that have got out-and-out out ability. Incredible um, squads to pick from. But those behind it, you only need a run. And Blackburn are on one at the minute. It's fantastic to see. Sam, there was another another pen shout in this game that, that wasn't given the handball by Ryan Niambi. No wonder Frankie McAvoy was a bit cross about that. They lose another derby. What's the best that they can hope for this season, Preston? Mid-table obscurity, I suppose. Uh, not looking over their shoulders. I, I'm glad you've come to me on this, Matt, because this natural, unnatural position handball thing is driving me mad. I mean, when you're playing football, you're never in a natural position. You're jumping, you're off balance, your arms are out. I don't know. I don't know. I don't understand what it means in terms of the terminology. But this day and age, it probably is a penalty because 99% of the time you get given them. So I'd be disappointed if I'm Frankie McAvoy. But I don't believe unless a defender is deliberately trying to stop a shot that's going into the net, that's the only time your arm's going to be in an unnatural position if you stick it out. Not when you're defending a corner from three yards away. I don't get it. And, you know, looking at the, the balance of the play, the stats from, from that game, I don't think Preston probably did enough to warrant anything from the game other than looking a bit more uh, cohesive on what looked like a difficult pitch. It looked like a pitch that me and Sean used to play on um, <laughs> a few years ago. It looked like a really wet surface where Preston actually were a bit better in control of the ball. I think Blackburn are a counter-attacking team and a really good one at that. Um, but the conditions maybe suited Preston at the weekend, and it was a it was a bit of a drab game decided, as Sean rightly says, by someone who's at the top of his game and must be improving the players around him and improving their belief. Every game they go into doesn't matter if we're not completely at it. We've got a goal scorer. I think on on Ben as well. You know, he'll be looking, thinking, does does he want to go? You know, there'll be a lot of suitors for him in January. Would he would he want to take that plunge and perhaps get himself back into the Premier League and you know try and make his mark in the Premier League, should I say, or does he just back himself again and just end this season with a, a ridiculous amount of goals because he has got that capacity, hasn't he? Yeah, and he might be looking at Adam Armstrong and thinking maybe it's not that easy to make the, the step up to the Premier League because it's not gone brilliantly for him, has it? Uh, Sam, can you analyse our banal footballer's tweet of the week, please? This one comes from Rovers keeper Ainsley Pears, who says, A derby win and a clean sheet. The boys were class and fans unbelievable. Muscly arm emoji. Hashtag Rovers. Blue circle, white circle. I mean, it's pretty much textbook, isn't it? Yeah, he's not giving us anything that we don't already know. Yeah, from from the, uh, the the thousands of footballers' tweets already this season. Young lad, though, quite fresh in the team, I think. So I'm going to give him a little bit of a pass, Matt. I'm going to be sympathetic to a player who's not been playing that regularly. Uh, let him have his moment. <laughs> Very gracious of you. Uh, Blackburn at Bournemouth at the weekend, by the way. So if they win that, we, we might have to take them seriously as automatic promotion contenders. Uh, now then, seeing as Sean's ex-Millwall, Dan supports Birmingham and Sam was at the den for the game between the teams. Logic dictates that we must talk through Millwall's 3-1 win against Birmingham. Uh, Sam, you were impressed not just by Millwall, but by the game in general, I believe. It was a really good game. Great atmosphere. Obviously, two vociferous uh, sets of supporters. And Millwall gave a complete 90-minute performance. And listening to Gary Rower after the game, he spoke about little pockets that they've had in matches, little spells when they've been brilliant. And I just think it's hard for Millwall to maintain the level of, a, of urgency and the, the aggression that they play with over 90 minutes. And even though they were handsome victors at the weekend, there were still spells in the game where I'm looking, I'm thinking... If they had a, a better midfield 
kind of controller who could sit in there and manage the game and keep possession and maybe a centre-half who was a little bit more comfortable on the ball. It would make life so much easier for him because it's so helter-skelter. It's just going forward at all costs. And um, I think that's for Gary Rowett to take them into a playoff contender. I think obviously finances dictate that and the resources, cash injection from the owners. But I think that's what they need next, you know, to be able to play slightly different way at times in games. But no, it was a brilliant game. Birmingham weren't particularly good defensively, especially from the set pieces. But I was impressed with uh, McGree and um, the young lad, James, in, in midfield. Uh, really good technical footballers, which I don't think you'd associate with Birmingham over the last few years and definitely not maybe uh, a Lee Bowyer side um, that, you know, got good strikers, get the ball forward. But those two were really good. Troy Deeney, I think, had his best game in a Birmingham shirt, knitted it together, played a diamond second half and showed Lee Bowyer's tactical awareness. The wing-backs didn't work in the first period. Much better after the break, but really good game. And optimistic those two teams could have top 10 finishes this year, but... Millwall not too far away. It was Gary Rowett's 100th game in charge of Millwall. Sean, it's a club you know well. What does it take to succeed there? Because it is different to a lot of other clubs, right? That's that's not just a cliche. No, it is. It's a unique football club. It really is. It's a, it's a tough place to play at. You know, I went there when I was right at the very end of my career. And, you know, perhaps looking back, it, I don't think I gave Millwall the, the, the best performances of my career. And, and I definitely heard that they weren't very happy with some of my performances as well. And they let you know. They let you know under no uncertain terms. And I think you have to be a, a pretty tough, you know, resilient kind of character to even go out onto the den and pull on that shirt. Because, I mean, I spoke to Gary about 18 months ago, just after he got in there, and I was talking to him about all his ex-clubs and, and what it takes for him to now manage Millwall. And he said he... He knows exactly what's required. They have to go out there and they have to give a performance, a real spit and sawdust performance before you even go on to the tactical and technical elements of the game. And that's what he expects from his team. And I think they have given him that over the course of the time that Gary's been there. But it's interesting what Sam's just said there about where can they end up in this, um, in this championship. I think they're always going to be one that bounces in and around right at the edge of the playoff at best. And into that top 10, I think that's going to be a good season because, unfortunately, they haven't got that infrastructure and the, and the resources that many of the other clubs in the Championship have got. Uh, Dance, via the magic of Zoom, I saw an eyebrow arch as Sam uh, predicted a possible top 10 finish for your beloved Blues. What's your progress report on them at where we are at the start of December? Oh, I dream of a top 10 finish. Um, uh, you know, Sam used the phrase mid-table obscurity a little earlier and that would be given the situation the club is in, Lee Bowyer basically brought in freeze and loans in the summer, didn't spend a penny on players. But you could understand and make a case for every piece of recruitment that he made. Ryan Woods coming in as a midfielder, uh, the Tahith Chong loan, which of course has come to a premature end because he picked up that uh, injury and has gone back to Old Trafford for treatment. Jordan Graham, who... As Sam rightly said, didn't have you know a, a particularly sparkling game at wing back on Saturday, but I can understand why they brought him in from Gillingham. So, given the resources that he's had to work with, and given the fact that we've circled the plug hole of the championship so many times in the past four or five years, just the notion of us finishing twelfth is it's manna from heaven to me. Just the idea that we can be clear of danger by the time the clocks go forward. Um, yes, please, I'll I'll take that. With, with both hands. Deeney's goal was fabulous. I mean, it was a really good, high-quality championship goal. And Sam's right to mention Jordan James, who was involved in the build-up. This is another good example of what's coming through Steve Spooner's academy. Also, George Hall, who's just come through our academy, another one who's on the bench on Saturday, just signed pro forms. Uh, a lot expected of him going forward. There's also Jude Bellingham's kid brother, Job. Um, who's you know still a baby in arms, but has been on the bench a few times for Birmingham this season. That's what Lee Bowyer has to do. He's got to use the likes of Jordan James and George Hall, and maybe going forward Joe Bellingham to supplement what he's got because the squad depth isn't huge. Oh yeah, please twelfth place. Oh, I'll take that right now. Goodness me. <laughs> 
Um, I'm sure Job's picked up a lot of things from his brother, uh, but maybe criticising referees in post-match interviews ought not to be <laughs> ought not to be one of them. Um, I think we might hear a bit more about that as the week goes on. Uh, right now, though, let's get some championship odds, courtesy of Paddy Power and guest producer Doogie. Uh, Doogie, a couple of big games coming up this weekend. How are Paddy Power viewing them? Yes, Matt, there's no midweek fixtures, so we're looking ahead to next Saturday. Fulham are away at Luton this weekend, and they've been back to continue their unbeaten run. They are 5-2 to two to come away with all three points from Kenilworth Road. And Blackburn also have a huge game this weekend at second place Bournemouth, as we already mentioned. They're 13-5 to five to win at the Vitality. The Cherries, meanwhile, are 4-6. to six. Lovely, thanks, Doogie. Right, we're bound for League One next. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Because you're a listener of the Totally Football League show, you can get a third off an Athletic subscription right now. All you need to do is head to theathletic.com forward slash league show. That's theathletic.com forward slash league show. League One headlines. Paul Cook sacked by Ipswich after nine months in charge. Town Chief Exec Mark Ashton said, I know how much Paul wanted to succeed at this club. At this moment, there's no one lined up to replace him. Huh. Uh, Richie Wellens has also been dismissed. He was given his P45 by Doncaster just after we dropped Thursday's pod. And in far happier news, Charlie Wyke has thanked Wigan boss Liam Richardson for saving his life. Richardson gave Wyke CPR after he suffered a cardiac arrest during training last month. It was only three weeks earlier that Richardson had been given training in CPR. Uh, Sean, is that is that something that you've had at, at Palace? I'm sure seeing that story of Charlie Wyke at, at Wigan shocked everybody in football. Has it kind of, has it has it brought that to the fore for, for you guys there as well? Yeah, and it hits home massively for me as well, guys. You know, obviously losing one of my closest friend um, just in Edinburgh a few years ago. And, um, you know, I'm a a trustee of the of the J3 Foundation, and we do a lot of um, promotion on on trying to. Well, listen, we, the, these the, the stores that story just I couldn't believe it. Honestly, I couldn't believe it. It, it was really raw for us um, involved in the in the foundation. It really was, and um, I'm just so pleased that it was a, a positive outcome because it could have been disastrous. Could have been disastrous. Yeah, really good to hear that uh, Charlie's getting well and we hope that he will be back before too long. Uh, those managerial movements then, let's start with Paul Cook. Sam, how many times have we spoken on this podcast this season about it taking him a long time to integrate all these new signings? Well, he didn't get long enough to do it by the looks of things. Slightly like the toughest team in the, the whole football league to critique Ipswich. It's just like, I, I just don't understand why they've not been able to get more consistency, I suppose. I think he's a victim of really ambitious owners, is the best way I can put it, who wanted a quick fix, wanted to be up in that top two, top three. I mean, they're they're seven points, I think, away from from the playoffs at the moment, which is a a considerable gap. Why it's gone wrong, I don't know, because I think a month ago, everyone was quite enthused and it was quite refreshing seeing the amount of goals that they were firing in obviously conceding probably too many for Paul Cook's liking and the, the hierarchy's liking. But, you know, they won 4-1 at Wickham a month ago and we felt that was the start of something, but they've not been able to build on it. Macaulay Bonds stopped scoring a little bit. I think the array of forward players they've got have got to take a responsibility because they've not contributed enough in that regard. So where they go from here, I don't know. Um, I've seen a lot of people speak about Liam Richardson maybe being the missing piece of the jigsaw, but... I'm not sure how much I buy into that because I, 
I've never worked with Paul Cook, but from the outside, he looks to me like a, a guy that's on the training ground and orchestrating things from there. You know, and probably my only spell at a club where the manager took a bit of a back seat was probably Ipswich when Willie Donaghy did the majority of the coaching and Joe came to life on a match day. But I don't see that being the way with Paul Cook. I think he gets his boots on and and he's probably really hands-on on the training ground. So I'm not sure I buy into that, but something's gone amiss. I just think it's a really difficult job, really difficult job right now. And I'll be fascinated to see which way they go next. Difficult job that calls for an experienced hand. Is that going to be your old gaffer, Neil Warnock, do you think, Sean, or, or somebody of that ilk? Or, or are they going to, I don't know, pluck the academy coach from a another Premier League side and, and go that way, as seems to be the style of the time? Well, I mean, I can only back up what Sam said then. I look at the I look at the strikers that they've got, though, Sam, and I think sometimes you can have too many at your disposal. You know what it's like. Mm. Sometimes as a striker, you can be looking over your shoulder 55, 60 minutes thinking, well, I'm going to come off in a minute because he's going to go and throw two more on. And I think that causes more problems than actually solves answers because it's sometimes I look at them, Joe Piggott, James Norwood, all of them, Macaulay Bond, there's so many here, Sonny Aluku, they'll all be thinking, well, just give me a run of four or five games. And you know, you look at some of the changes that have been made in the in the striker department, and I think that's a massive factor in this um, in this situation. But Seven points off sixth, it's a, it's a great job. It's a wonderful job for somebody and there's going to be loads of suitors and you just mentioned one of my old gaffers there, Neil Warnock. Do I think I'll see him again? 150%. Of course we'll see him back in <laughs> at management again. He, he's not allowed home for longer than three months, never mind you know, <laughs> turning his nose up to a club like Ipswich. Um, but what kind of manager? There's loads available, you know, uh, you look at people like Neil Harris. I mean, Neil Harris will be, I'm sure, sniffing around a job that size as well, thinking he'd like to grab his hands on it as well. So it's a fantastic job. Brilliant, brilliant football club. So that's the Ipswich angle, dance. I'm fascinated in, in what happens next for Paul Cook because he waited ages, didn't he, hoping that he'd get a championship job. Ended up taking the Ipswich one back end of last season, thinking, well, there's all this money coming in and I'll be able to get them up in one go. What does he do next? Is, is he stuck in League One purgatory now? Possibly. I mean, he made a rod for his own back towards the end of last season when he dug out as many members of that squad as he did, which kind of necessitated that total clean sweep uh, of staff and then bringing in, what was it, 19 signings in the end that were brought in, including loans. That's a real, I mean, that's a big gamble. I, I think that the biggest I can remember actually paying off was, was David Wagner at Huddersfield. I think he made about 14, 15 signings the year they got promotion to the Premier League uh, and that's from the Championship which is an even nuttier division than, than than League One which is nuts enough as it is this season when you look at the, the, the table and you look at the heritage of some of those clubs towards the top Ipswich included so I don't know what Cookie does next because he took a gamble in you know digging out those players who he didn't think were good enough to play for Ipswich brings in a raft of new players and Sean is absolutely right to highlight that confusion that comes from thinking, well, where does he place me? Where, where, where am I in the pecking order? Is there a pecking order? Is it just throw it at the wall and see how much of it sticks? So having won the title with Portsmouth at League Two, I think, I think he might still have some credit in the bank for that. And the work he did at Wigan, if it hadn't been for that points deduction and everything surrounding that, who knows, Wigan could have stayed up in there under his tenure. So... I'm not sure whether somebody's necessarily going to take a gamble on him now, um, but he's clearly a good coach. Somebody gets out there and, and, and works with players on the training ground. That's quite obvious. But I'll, I'll miss his um, I'll miss his two-toned post-match press <laughs> interviews uh, for the time being, where he puts on an impression halfway through from absolutely nowhere. I'll miss that for the time being. I hope we see that again soon. Yeah, maybe we'll get him back on the pod and, and he can uh, showcase his, his uh, multi-tonal voice again that way. Richie Wellens getting the boot from Doncaster. This one feels a, a little less surprising, Sean. He'd only won three of 19 league games. He goes with them six points adrift of, of safety. Who do they go for next? Another club you know, with, with lots of potential, big ground, decent supporter base. So it will be an attractive proposition despite their league position. Oh, I mean, you look at the jobs that are available now. There's always going to be, there's going to be 
100 applicants for it. There always is. You know, there's so many people want football jobs now. You talk about the... There's a, there seems to be a clamour now for, for, for the younger coaches coming through kind of an academy background. That type of coach is um, very favourably looked upon now. But there's loads of experienced managers will be looking at the Doncaster job as well. You're right. Great ground. Training ground's good. Um, set of players probably underperforming at this moment in time. So two really good jobs available in, um, in the Football League One. And um, I think you're going to have a lot of people looking at um, just mention here it's about Neil Harris, but also, I mean, where does A.D. Boothroyd go after leaving England? Does he come into the, into the Football League again? And people like Chris Coleman. There's so many experienced lads looking for that kind of starting post again. And you might see somebody like that coming into one of these jobs. Hey, you know Richie Wellens, Sam. I wonder where he goes next too. It doesn't feel like that long ago that he was lifting a trophy at Wembley. Is he going to have to drop back down to League Two now, do you think? Possibly. Um, that's really difficult, uh, I would imagine, in picking the right job, choosing the right job. Um, you look at what he's had to deal with in his, his young managerial career. He's had Oldham, um, which we know the problems there. He had Swindon, which latterly was really tricky for him during the pandemic. Um, they made a lot of cutbacks at Swindon. And then subsequently, he's had Salford, which brings its own problems in terms of pressure. And now Doncaster, who... I don't think have much of a budget at that level. So I think, you know, the other side of it is he brought a lot of players in in the summer and those signings haven't haven't produced, especially offensively. They've scored 11 goals this far, which is the, the lowest in the EFL and, and shows you why his position has come under huge pressure. And having been a, a club legend as well, it just shows you the fickle nature of the game. Um, he's a fiery character, Richie, on the sidelines. He probably rubs people up the wrong way on occasions because he wears his heart on his sleeve and because they haven't got the results, I think that relationship soured. And that's the game we've all been in, you know. And that's why I've probably been reluctant to go back to one of my former clubs and try and get on the coaching ladder because it can quickly turn against you. So I've got sympathy for him. But to answer your question, he's got a box really clever now going into a club where he gets where he's got better resources and he can show that he's a good a good manager because that team at Swindon I tell you in a in a period where there've been some some really dire seasons he went in there and lit that place up playing attacking high tempo football goals galore home and away really turned it on so I like Richie I think there's something there in terms of a manager and, and hopefully gets the opportunity at a good club Next next time. Well, there were a couple of games in League One this weekend at the Stadium of Light. Finished one all between Sunderland and Oxford United. Just like last season, we saw touchline shenanigans, but this time it wasn't the two benches having a disagreement, but Lee Johnson and a Sunderland fan slash fans. There's two ways to look at this dance. I think one is it's fair enough to have a go back if somebody's giving you endless stick. The other is arguing with supporters rarely, if ever, ends well for managers. That's a battle you will never win. You start, well, it's not a war yet, but I always think of Sam Allardyce. If he ever started a war with supporters, it was a war that ultimately he would come out on the right end of. And I was up at Sunderland on Wednesday for the Papa John's trophy tie against Oldham. And all right, there were only, what, 4,000 in. It was fairly sparsely attended. They only opened the one stand. But Oldham wiped the floor with them. Only won by a goal to nil. And Sunderland did that classic thing of making 10 changes from a, a League One tie. Uh, as holders of the trophy as well, which I, I, I always think is a little strange. You know, no one's ever successfully defended the Football League trophy. So I don't believe that putting all your eggs in one basket, i.e. League One, is necessarily better by the fact that you disregard or or put another competition on a lower pedestal somehow. I, I, that That just seems wrong to me. And with Lee, he's he said in a recent interview that he understands he wouldn't he, he knew the pressure that taking the Sunderland job would bring, but they're just there's just a little uncertainty at the minute, and I'm sure the Sunderland fans are getting a little bit antsy because this is fourth season now at this level, and they they wanted to be where Rotherham and Wickham are rather than where they are. Right, they wanted a bit more certainty about their their pre-Christmas position. So that there's there's an awful lot for him to unpick about the way things are going. If the supporters are starting to turn, 
Boy, oh boy. Yeah, you've got to get them back on side very, very quickly at the Stadium of Light. You ever had to bite your tongue, Sean, on the touchline? It's, it's unbelievable what Dancer's just said there about, you know, you never win. You don't. I mean, talk about bite your tongue uh, all the time. You know, whenever I've been on the touchline managing, there's, all, there's always somebody, right? There's always somebody that is a five <laughs> o'clock Brian Clough. It's just unbelievable. It, they're, they're, they're there in... They're there all the time, and I've I've done it. You know, I've bit, and it's it's never paid off. I, I remember doing it on more than one or two occasions at Cambridge, and um, you come home and you think, what, what, why have I done that? Why have I said that? You know, because I know that guy's going to be right behind my back again, on my back again the next week, and it never goes away. And the best thing that Lee could have done there is just just contained himself. Perhaps his assistant might have just, you know, stopped it and, and intercepted, but it's very difficult. Alvin Martin always told me about the heckler he had when he had his managerial job at Southend United. It was like the crocodile in Peter Pan, the captain hook, that sort of ticking <laughs> clock inside the... He could hear that voice from 10 rows behind the dugout and it just... it. it is that right, Sean? It just makes you... It makes your body tense up because you hear it and you almost... You almost know it's coming, right? Absolutely, one hundred percent. I mean, I think I made a, a reference of it being what one of the games was the fine lines or something like that. Fine lines in in winning and and perhaps losing the game. And this one guy behind me, I, I, can, I can picture his face now. He's making me smile, but at the time, you just want to go into the have a little word with him, but you can't, can you? And he every time, every time we conceded a goal at Cambridge, he'd shout. Fine lines, Derry, fine lines. And I just wanted to go straight up there, you know, and just grab him. But uh, listen, there's loads of them, isn't there? You've just got, you've got to laugh. You've got to laugh it off. Um, Oxford-wise, Sam, decent point for them, of course, hanging around edges of the playoffs, seven unbeaten. The mood there is much better than it is at Sunderland at the moment. I don't think there's, a, there's too much wrong at Sunderland if Lee Johnson's flailing arms getting blown up <laughs> like this. Um, you know, I think most managers probably respond when you get the booze at... Uh, at 90 minutes, if you're getting booed off after they look like they peppered Oxford a little bit in the second half, in the bar and the and the post, they've really just been disappointed in the moment. They've got a bad injury problems, Sunderland as well. So I'm sure they'll they'll get back towards that. You know, the the, the well, they're two points off the top, so nothing's decided in, at that level. But yeah, I think Oxford just disrupted by COVID, haven't they? I think in the last week or or two, um, I like Carl Robinson's honesty. Said he was bored in the second half. Um, sounded like Lee Johnson's team were a bit more aggressive and got after him, stopped Oxford playing. They don't really have that, I suppose, um, statuesque front man. They play with Taylor down the middle, who's a who's a predator, 18-yard box. So it sounded like they couldn't get out. But no, I, I love Carl Robinson's team. They've been dealt that, that blow a few weeks ago where they lost their, their defensive midfield player, Gorin. So it's uh, it's always an expansive attacking lineup that they go with and... Yeah, that, that's a that's a really good point to get them going again, and no, no problem with predicting straight away that I think Oxford and Sunderland will be playoff teams minimum again this season. I think they look shoe in for top six. Uh, meanwhile, at the Crown Ground, John Coleman presumably feeling a lot better about life than he was last week after his Accrington side wallop Fleetwood five one. Dance that that damn batty tackle that he got sent off for. My goodness me, talk about X-rated. Yeah, that, uh, it, it just that, it's a classic case as I think I, I saw on the on the highlights program. That the first touch puts him in that instinctive position where he's chasing after the ball he's just lost and goes in to try and win it back. Uh, yeah, a red card all day long. Uh, there, there, there's no there's no either or about it. And Accrington took. Full advantage. Um, Colby Bishop looks like he's uh, back, banging form. Couple of good goals from from him. He must be one of the best target men in in League One. I'll get Sam's opinion on that, but I, I think he looks to me to be a an ideal guy to lead the line for a, for for a team like Accrington. Who, yeah, they they you know they are one of the have-nots of League One, aren't they? And for, for I think I, I heard a stat from my colleague Adrian Durham that that I think. John Coleman has spent half his life managing <laughs> some some a, two, a third of his life managing Accrington Stanley, which is uh, absolutely bizarre to, to have spent that long. The one disappointing thing from that was uh, I've read Andy Holt, the the owner's long Twitter diatribe about the behaviour 
of the Fleetwood fans, both at the end behind the goal and the, the stand that runs along opposite our commentary position uh, at the Wham Stadium. Uh, a lot of uh, toilet facilities ruined uh, and general, you know, can't just call it mischief, it's violence, uh, you know, and uh, vandalism. That's not good. Uh, and I see Andy Holt was saying he, he wants uh, Fleetwood to pay their share of the... Uh, the share of the cost. We'll see what transpires from that. That's the one disappointing thing from that game. Yeah, just going back onto um, the young player, Colby Bishop there, he was um, brilliant how he's come through. I mean, we had him at Notts County. He was a young player. I think he was only about 16, 17. And we got him from a um, kind of one of these education schemes. Um, he'd finished his school and he ended up um, at one of these um, education schemes where he doubled up with his football and he joined our squad a few times in the um, in, in League One back then, and he was always one of these lads who scored. It's not a bad little habit to have, is it, as a 17-year-old when he's kind of training with the first team? And uh, you know, and when I left in the March, he kind of he went missing a little bit, and I think he ended up back into something similar or you know really down the levels. And um, wonderful to see because he was always one of them young players that intrigued me because, like I said. Whenever he came across as a youth team player in training, he always scored a goal. And he's doing that loads of times, isn't he, for Accrington. He's been brilliant. Really, really good player by the looks of things. Uh, Sam, we've spoken a lot about attractive, vacant jobs in the AFL in this podcast. Not sure I put the Fleetwood one in that category. No wins in 11 for them. And still, they're yet to make an appointment. They need to get that done pretty quickly, don't they? Yeah, they do. I, I don't know. It's good, good little grounds, good facilities. I think going forward, they've been fine this year. Obviously, that concession of five goals adds to their woes defensively. They're the worst um, def- defence in the in the table now, 39 they've con- conceded. But I think a manager will look at it and just think, I've got to come up with a formula to get them defensively better. And then we shouldn't have too many problems. It's They've got so many young lads in that midfield and that front three. It's incredible. I looked at the average age. It's, um, it's 20... Point eight or something. A lot of experienced guys defensively, but I just that the balance of the team doesn't look quite right. Are those experienced guys getting enough support uh, from from the players, the, the defensive midfielders, etc.? And that that result, by all accounts, flattered Accrington enormously. Fleetwood had some good spells in between the goals. It sounds mad talking about a five-one, um, and and the guy is speaking about Bishop. Um, I think if Bishop and Charles are in tandem again, like they were last year. Could have been talking about Accrington being a playoff contender this year. I didn't think they were far away at all last year. I remember seeing them at Fratton Park last day of the season. Might have been with Dance, I can't remember. It was uh, a really good Accrington side then. And for me, one of the best front twos outside the championship. I think both of them will go on and, and probably play in the championship. Certainly get a move to one of the powerhouses in League One. So, yeah, that's that's no slight really on the, uh, the interim manager. I think Fleetwood... It's going to be difficult for them, but I would still imagine those 100 applicants that Sean talks of going in for that job as well. Sam mentions promotion there. Doogie, let's get some odds on how the market looks according to Paddy Power, please. Yeah, no worries, Matt. So Sunderland's drop points against Oxford hasn't upset their Paddy Power odds too much. They are still third favourites to be promoted behind Rotherham and Wigan. Despite sitting in fifth, they are 11-10 to 10 on the Paddy Power website. And despite being level on points with Rotherham and Wigan at the top of the table, the fact Wickham have played 20 games, one more than Rotherham and two more than Wigan, means they are only 7-2 for automatic promotion behind those two and Sunderland. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. It's over 18s only. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. T's and C supply and when the fun stops, stop. Right, just about done for today, but after Exeter played Bradford three times in the FA Cup, only to go out to an 88th minute winner at Cambridge on Saturday, it got me to thinking, what's the time in football that made you think, I wish I hadn't bothered doing that? Uh, Dance, what have you got for me? Um, oh, I, I was at one of those uh, Exeter-Bradford ties, the, the, the final one after the, the re-replay. And they worked <laughs> so hard, Exeter, to get through that tie. I, I, I take your point entirely. I go to, I think it was, I was thinking about this, January 2004, Birmingham were a Premier League side at the time. Um, my best mate Keith said, uh, oh, I've got a spare ticket to go down to White Hart Lane tonight to watch this place first. I'm right up for that. Fantastic. Haven't been there before. So down we go and we get absolutely cuffed 4-1. It was one of, it, Stefan Dalmat 
who I think only ever scored one other league goal for Spurs, scored two that night. I mean, if ever that was, oh, I wish I hadn't bothered, you know, because a guy who <laughs> couldn't hit the proverbial cow's backside with a banjo suddenly scores two against us. Uh, it was miserable weather. It was cold. It was a long way home. Oh, why did I bother? Uh, Sean, is, is yours using the phrase fine lines at Cambridge? <laughs> <laughs> uh, there was many occasions where I wish I'd have made a, a different sub in the last 10 minutes, that's for sure. Um, but no, <laughs> I suppose one of my moments was i just signed for Sheffield United as a young player. Um, I was 20 years old. Um, and it was my first away game, actually. We were playing away at Fratton Park against Portsmouth. And Simon Tracy got sent off. So... Um, Don Hutchinson tried, he tried to get the goalie gloves off and Simon on the way off, but I, I nicked him off him just as, uh, just as he was going off. And I actually kept a clean sheet for the remainder of the game. But in the last 10 minutes, I went down, I think it was John Durning's feet and I really injured my knee. I'd done my cartilage and I was out for about four months. So I wish I'd never had pulled on that goalkeeper jersey at, um, at Fratton Park back in the day, that's for sure. But they can't take the clean sheet off yet. Yeah, um, Sam, can you improve on that? Um, well, mine involves dragging some other people down with me. Um, Always a good one. League Cup semi final. <laughs> League Cup semi final. You, um, you won't be able to associate with this, Sean, because you never got left out. But League Cup semi final, St Mirren against Celtic at Hamden. I've invited cousins from Aberdeen. I've invited mates from London, three or four. My sister, who'd seen me play once in my whole career, came up with her toddler to Hamden. Went to the training ground morning of the game for the pre-match before we got the coach across from Paisley. I'm not in the 18. I'm not in the 18. I am absolutely sick. And then uh, I made it my absolute duty. We beat Celtic, partly down to John McGinn, absolutely masterful performance. But we made it through playing heart and I made it my absolute duty that I, that was never going to happen to me again. So I was like a man possessed in the five games leading up to the final. And uh, Danny Lennon was the manager, came on in the final for, for 15 minutes, I did, and uh, contributed, we won. And, and he said when I left that summer, he said, great example, you know, moving forward, because you were so sick and I just couldn't leave you out of the final. I just couldn't. And I remember just saying to myself that night, that is never happening to me ever again. Even though we, it was Burns night as well, so I went out and had to have 10 pints in that mood, can you imagine? <laughs> Oh, I feel for you. Um, yeah, that makes me feel better about mine. Mine was uh, spending £370 on a Forest season ticket as a 16-year-old earning £2.20 an hour stacking shelves in my local co-op, only for us to win the first home game of the season. Brilliant. We're on the way. We're beating Coventry. Next home win came in May, by which time we'd long since been relegated. Uh, yeah, not my wisest investment. <laughs> right, that'll just about do it for today. Hey, Sean, thanks so much for joining us. It's been fabulous to have you on. Thanks, guys. Lovely to see you all. Dan, it's always a pleasure. Thank you, Matt. And Sam, you're back with us on Thursday, right? Yeah, looking forward to it. Good to see you guys. Excellent. Many thanks to guest producer Doogie as well and to you for listening. We'll catch up with you on Thursday. For now, though, from all of us here, it's goodbye. You've been listening to the Totally Football League Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on the Athletic app and keep up to date with everything Totally by heading to at the Totally Show on Twitter and on Insta. Find out the latest subscription offers by going to theathletic.com forward slash league show. The Totally Football League Show is an Athletic Media Company production. The Athletic.